Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Obviously, Georgia started fall camp yesterday. That's a big deal as the dogs try to go for three and 23. So before we're done, in fact, in just a few minutes time here, we're going to get to that. Kirby on quarterbacks and kind of looking at that as kind of our first topic out of fall camp from yesterday. And then over the course of the next few days, we'll lay the groundwork from everything else. We're expecting to hear from some Georgia players today. You'll have more of that on the Dog Nation YouTube page. So we're all over fall camp, including on our program here today, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. But if you don't mind, I want to start with what has also been maybe the hottest topic of all among Georgia fans going back to the last few days, which is what is five-star athlete K.J. Bolden going to do when he makes his college decision on Saturday? And yesterday, we got two pretty interesting, I guess, new pieces of insight on this. One of those may be Kirby Smart sending a little bit of a coded message. I'll give that to you here in a second. But let me start with something that Jeff Sintel said. Of course, Jeff is our Dog Nation recruiting insider. And last night, before the hedge is presented by Kroger, as you might imagine, Jeff spending a good bit of time previewing the announcement for Bolden coming up on Saturday. And there has been a lot of talk, and we understand kind of why this is, coming off the Big Cat weekend on Saturday. That's the Auburn event we talked to you about on Monday's show where Bolden was there. At one point in time, it was sort of thought that uh, Auburn was now in his top two of his decision, that there was other chatter out there that Bolden maybe almost considered committing to Auburn right there at the Big Cat weekend. You know, pretty clearly Auburn had become a factor in that recruitment. If they weren't already, they became a factor in that recruitment during the weekend when they got a chance to host him. There was also Bolden's own words going back to last week that he was at one point in time feeling like he was close to making his commitment announcement or at least feeling comfortable about the announcement he was going to make. That's the better way to say that. And a coach kind of got into his ear and gave him more stuff to think about. And all of a sudden, that kind of opened things back up in his mind. So a lot of Georgia fans have been left to wonder, well, if we've been told throughout this process that Georgia is in a good spot here, and if we've been told maybe the main reason why Georgia's in a good spot here is because of the specific personal relationship Georgia head coach Kirby Smart has with Bolden, something that's not always true in recruiting battles. Uh, oftentimes, the leader in that recruitment is going to be a position coach or a coordinator. In this particular case, it seems like Kirby himself has had a pretty big impact on K.J. Bolden. And if that in itself is kind of maybe enough evidence to feel like Georgia was maybe the leader in this pursuit, what does it mean then that Auburn did what it did this weekend, made the impact on Bolden that it did, and that uh, another school, was that Florida State, maybe Ohio State, maybe less likely to be that way, Was it were, were they the ones that convinced Bolden to kind of open up his mind and consider new ideas with the re- recruitment? You know, where does all this leave Georgia if all these other schools have made these inroads as successfully as it appears that they might have? Well, on that note, Jeff Sintel, I thought, had some interesting stuff last night from before the hedge was presented by Kroger. Some of this, is your, if you're a Georgia fan, may sound like good news. Some of this, if you're a Georgia fan, eh, may sound like something else. But you'll, I'll let you just sort of decide for yourself. This is our Dog Nation recruiting insider, Jeff Sintel. The latest intel, if you will, on K.J. Bolden. This is from last night. As fickle as recruiting can be, especially in the, in the NIL era, you got to kind of stick with what you know and kind of what you've heard. And for the longest time, I've thought that Georgia has a really strong shot with K.J. Bolden. You, you hear names right now popping up, FSU, Auburn. Uh, maybe FSU and Auburn is the top two. Georgia and Ohio State are looking outside, on the outside looking in. I don't believe that. I don't think that's the case. I think Georgia remains a very strong contender for K.J. Bolden. I'm going to take him at face value when he said he told a group of reporters last Wednesday that NIL is not going to make his decision. And that's one of the things you hear coming out, coming out of certain visits to certain schools he's taken, that the, that the number for the NIL is, has been reset, that it's a big number. I think it's a big number for a safety. I'm not sure I would build my football team through NIL that way. So if you're like me and you're listening closely to what Jeff Sintel is saying there, then it's almost like the roller coaster ride of at the beginning of that clip, Jeff's like, hey, I'm sticking to my sources. I'm sticking to my story on this. Georgia's in a great place for KJ Bolden. That's sort of like the roller coaster going up the hill. You're sort of excited. Yeah, man, that's exactly right. You tell him, Jeff. Uh, Georgia and KJ Bolden, just as strong as ever. My word is strong as oak. What's that line? <laughs> 
from uh, Jerry Maguire. Uh, you know, my word is strong as oak. That that hey, it, it feels good. Uh, the relationship just as good as ever. KJ Bolden been telling you the entire time nothing's changed. And then about the time you crest the hill, then the clip takes a little bit of a different turn. But the NIL money is getting a lot more. And it may be at one point in time, and we played this clip for you last week, Bolden said that while NIL does matter, he knows there are other things that matter more. But all of a sudden now, these desperate programs, such as an Auburn or perhaps a Florida State, they're throwing more and more and more money at this. And then all of a sudden, hey, you know, you know, <laughs> maybe some of this is becoming a little bit difficult to say no to. You can kind of hear Jeff Sintel sort of insinuating that with that clip, and that's kind of the part of the roller coaster where it starts coming back down the hill, and all of a sudden, you know, the the, the good vibe that you thought you were getting from Jeff there, maybe you don't quite get as much of that. So I think what's going on there is is that it's sort of just the reality of the moment. People like Jeff, who I think have felt good about Bolden to Georgia, don't see any reason to necessarily change their mind maybe yet. Ultimately, I believe this is a situation where probably nobody knows what Bolden's going to say on Saturday. And maybe everybody believes that whatever Bolden does say on Saturday is only the next phase of all of this. And there could be another twist and turn in this, you know, prior to December when all of this becomes kind of over and done. But pretty clearly, the aggressive tactics being employed, perhaps by an op and perhaps by a Florida State, these are things to be taken seriously in the moment. And by the way, the sort of, and I'm obviously saying this from a pro-Georgia standpoint, the sort of desperate acts on the part of these teams that are coming after Bolden here, apparently that might not be limited to just throwing a bunch of money and trying to money whip uh, the dogs in this particular situation. Apparently, according to the kind of chatter among UGA fans, there's also a lot of bad stuff being said about Georgia. Listen, in any given moment, there's somebody somewhere saying something bad about Georgia and sort of hoping that sticks. You understand how that goes when you're the top dog in college football, no pun intended. Of course, that's going to be the case. Of course, people are going to be taking their shots uh, at you at any given moment. That's why some Georgia fans had their antenna go up in a very big way. When Kirby Smart, during his press conference to kick off Georgia Fall Camp yesterday, he was asked a question fairly innocuous about you know cross-training defensive backs, maybe getting a guy to play a couple of different positions there. And in the midst of talking about that, used that question to pivot towards something that some Georgia fans are saying was a coded message in the direction of K.J. Bolden. Now, listen, we've seen a lot of coaches do this before. We believe we've seen Kirby Smart do this before. Was Smart indeed doing this yesterday? Who really knows? Uh, Obviously, it's sort of fun to speculate about. We'll never know for sure. But in light of the fact that Bolden is making his decision on Saturday, and in light of the fact, as Jeff Sintel pointed out, there's some very real mystery and intrigue about what Bolden might do, what Kirby Smart said yesterday kind of adds to that, that not only is there a big NIL push in the direction of Bolden here to kind of wrestle him away from the state of Georgia, there may also be a bunch of ne'er-do-wells out there saying bad things about UGA, and that negative recruiting message might need to be countered, and some Georgia fans think that's exactly what Kirby Smart did yesterday. Let me let you hear Kirby in his own words, and I'll let you decide for yourself. We've proven that you can play as a true freshman uh, and be successful in our defense, so it's not too much to learn, like some people say, and try to use against against us in recruiting. We had a kid, Malachi Starks, that walked in and played every single game um, at safety from a true freshman perspective. But we're not going to ask that guy to cross train. So did you hear that? Kirby Smart says, hey, there's a bunch of people out there that will tell you that freshmen can't play in our system. It's too complicated to be able to do that. That's what they'll tell you. They're negative recruiting against us. But obviously Malachi Starks a year ago proves that's not true. Some Georgia fans are like, see – that's Kirby Smart telling, you know, whoever it is that maybe he's trying to say bad stuff about Georgia and the chances of a five-star coming in and playing right away. Uh, that's Kirby Smart saying, just look at Malachi Starks as an example of just how true this can be. And, of course, what Kirby Smart's saying is the absolute truth. Uh, of course, that's the case that if you're – Kirby Smart said it a million times that, – that if you're good enough, you're old enough. There's no such thing as, you know, too young to play in this system as long as you're good enough. So if you feel like you are good enough, then there's, you've got no problem playing at a place like Georgia no matter what year you might be in the program because Georgia's going to put the 11 best players on the field, be they seniors, freshmen, or whatever else. So you sort of add the possible subliminal message there from Kirby Smart into the old overall conversation, what's going on with Bolden. Now, let me give you one more thing on this. So last night in the midst of talking about the Bolden 
kind of latest stuff leading into what's going to go down on Saturday. Jeff had a message for Georgia fans. Now, y'all know, in addition to being a uh, cherished colleague of mine, Jeff Centella is also a very good friend of mine there as well. But there is an element to which I actually disagree with Jeff Centell with what he's about to say. And I may, when we, Jeff's on the show tomorrow, I'm sure we'll probably get into this a little bit. I'd have no problem telling him what I'm telling you right now, which is I don't completely agree with Jeff's overall analysis of the Bolden situation. So before we kind of wrap this up, move on, talk about something else, let me let you hear one more clip last night before the hedge is presented by Kroger from Jeff Sintel on KJ Bolden. Then after you hear it, I'll kind of explain why I don't quite think this properly gets to the heart of the matter. Here's Jeff Sintel. Some of you guys are going to be here for the drama and here for the roller coaster ride, which is, is it this school today? Is it this school tomorrow? I think, folks, the best advice I can give you as a guy that's been doing this for years and years and years, just sit back, just wait till Saturday. I think the Georgia Bulldogs are going to have a tremendous football team in 2024 uh, if K.J. Bolden decides to ride with the dogs, and I think they're going to have a tremendous football team in 2024 and beyond if K.J. Bolden decides to make another decision that is best for his family. So the actual words that Jeff uses there, I don't specifically disagree with, but the tone of that I think doesn't quite get right to the heart of the matter the way that I think that it that that it should what Jeff I believe is saying there is hey ultimately Georgia fans are making more of the bold and announcement than that decision is actually worth if that's kind of what he's insinuating there I think that kind of misunderstands this a bit and I'm going to speak on behalf of Georgia fans because I are one um I think what you see from Georgia fans is, and yes, I was using uh, grammar, bad grammar intentionally. Um, I think what you are going to see from Georgia fans here is not a level of panic about, oh my gosh, is Bolden going to come here or not? It's not a level of panic about that. I think the Georgia fans expect to perhaps go for four and 24, whether KJ is on this team or not. That's not what this is. What this is from Georgia fans right now is an honest, genuine curiosity because the Bolden recruitment, I think, sort of stands as a little bit of a bellwether about where a couple of very crucial issues sort of stand. And I'm going to tell you, as a Georgia fan, I believe that Georgia fans have a right to ask this question, these two questions. First of all, and I'm not trying to be overly sarcastic, but is it just impossible to get a player from Gwinnett County? Like literally, is it just impossible? Like, Mike Matthews didn't give Georgia the time of day. I think that Matthews is sensational. A year ago, you know, Justice Haynes, Caleb Downs, these big-time players, Buford in particular, obviously in the case of Haynes, uh, Edric Houston this year, as quick as a whistle, was on his way to Ohio State. Like, is it just impossible to get a player from Gwinnett County to go to UGA? At some point in time, the answers we've been given on that start to feel insufficient. The notion of, well, you know, some guys just want to leave the state and some guys want to chart their own path. And We're given all of the answers, and when it's a small handful, those answers feel sufficient. But when it's a continual trend over and over and over again, it starts to feel like there may be something else going on where you have a right to ask more about it. And by the way, that's not me saying that somehow Georgia's doing something wrong or even the people in Gwinnett County are doing something wrong. That's not a, It's not an accusation against anybody, but when it continues to be a trend year after year after year, when Georgia can get any player it wants to from literally everywhere in the country except for the most populous county within a very short drive of, uh, of where the campus is located, if you're a Georgia fan – you would have a right to kind of ask some questions about that and more substantial answers than the ones we've been given would probably be, you know, justifiable here. And then the other question is, and once again, you know, this is one of those things that I think that Georgia fans are genuinely curious about, you know, how much is NIL really changing the way in which these recruiting battles are kind of playing themselves out? And, you know, and let's face it, there's also at least one program out there that spent a year whining about what they thought was Georgia money whipping them over a player a year ago. Let's not act like sometimes this accusation doesn't get made at Georgia of, well, if it was for NIL, they wouldn't have won this battle. There are certainly plenty of uh, programs, at least one in particular I can think of, that has spent an entire year whining about that, among a lot of other things that program seems to always uh, kind of whine about here. So if a guy like Bolden, who's had this close relationship with Georgia, I believe Bolden in his own words said he's visited UGA 16 times, if after 16 visits to Georgia and a pretty close bond with Kirby Smart, the top coach in college football, 
if a program kind of slide in the last minute, put a stack of $100 bills on the table and say, here's this, um, if that's the nature of recruiting, then Georgia fans, I think, just sort of want to know that. You know, does, does NIL change things this fast when it comes to all of this? Or if it's good news for Georgia on Saturday and Georgia wins, then the idea that Georgia's selling what it sells can still be of value to recruits, even in comparison to everything else that's kind of going on there, then I think that would be interesting too. So on behalf of Georgia fans, let me say here that whatever goes down with Bolden on Saturday is not about some sort of level of panic of Georgia as a program is going to fall apart if KJ doesn't come uh, or Georgia's guaranteed to win a national championship because it has KJ Bolden. No individual player changes the fate of UGA. The roster is overall too deep and talented to be able to do that. But Bolden does sort of stand as a pretty strong I guess, representation of a couple of trends that have been out there. The trend of the overall impact of NIL on recruiting, whether whether people acknowledge that or not, and the overall you know wrestling match that seems to be ongoing with Georgia in this particular county in the metro Atlanta area that does not seem to do the dogs uh, you know very, very, very kindly uh, too often. So that's why there's so much hype and interest in KJ on Saturday. He is a very good player. wouldn't be a five-star if he wasn't. But there are some peripheral issues around this that continue to be very intriguing. They tell us a lot about the direction uh, that recruiting is heading. And so on Saturday, you better believe Georgia fans are going to be tuned in very closely. I'll also say this. Uh, Jeff Sintel also dropped you a pretty interesting nugget about Nate Frazier on his show last night. So tune in and watch that so you can see that there for yourself. I'm Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Meriwether and Tharp, and we are happy to have you with us. Will you join us 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all the video platforms. Uh, we're on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 96 of the Ref, and we're available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com, Apple, Spotify, everything else. Just whichever way you choose to access our show, we really appreciate you doing all of that and a big thanks to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp who make it all possible you know talk about being interested in things going on around UGA obviously Bob Tharp the great partner there at Meriwether and Tharp he is certainly that way his wife Ashley their entire family big dog fans see him in Athens all the time they love the dogs they love supporting UGA and no doubt they are as excited as anybody about the season that's on its way here for uh these dogs but when it's time to get serious, when it's time to roll up your sleeves and get to work, that's exactly what Bob and his team there at Meriwether and Tharp do for you there as well because they are your source for George divorce. And I know divorce is not fun, but if you've been through it, you know it's a reality. And for many of you, it will be a reality. Unfortunately, I hate that for you, but that's just kind of a fact of life. And sometimes there are facts, there are, there are realities that just must be confronted. The only way around it is to go through it. And if that's you in that particular season of your life right now, then the best thing I can do for you is to say, hey, don't go it alone. Think about yourself as like the quarterback or the running back. You know, have somebody blocking for you. Have somebody opening some holes for you. And that's what our friends at Meriwether and Tharp are going to be able to do for you there as well. They take this very seriously. They have worked tireless, tirelessly, easy for me to say, much easier for them to do. They have worked tirelessly. <laughs> I missed that again. Let me, let me try that one more time. Tirelessly. There you go. That's the word. They've worked tirelessly for so many of their clients so many times. And when you do that kind of work for people over and over and over again, year after year after year, when you do all of that, you develop knowledge, institutional expertise, and they want to give that to you um, as a way of helping your divorce process go smoother. It may not be perfect. It's not going to all be sunshine and rainbows. You know that's the case. But can they make it a little smoother? Can they make it a little better? Yes, they can. That's why you need to have an initial consultation with one of those Meriwether and Tharp attorneys. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. That's theatlantadivorceteam.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. And we are very happy to have them as a part of Around the Doghouse here today. We've got Terrence Edwards coming up in a moment. Update on the Georgia quarterback situation in a moment there as well. Let me take care of a piece of housekeeping before we get there. We've got just two more days, today and tomorrow, for you to be a part of our fantastic contest ongoing with our friends at Kroger. We're celebrating outstanding teachers. My kids started back to school today. I got a middle schooler now. I got a, still got a, a daughter in elementary school. So big day for us. Many of you doing all that kind of stuff there as well. And as we do, you know, you think about that school where your kids are. 
And I don't know if you're the kind of person who prays, you're praying for that teacher. You're obviously thinking about what's happening in that building each and every day. And you just want the best for your kids. And that means we just put so much, you know, value in the teachers that are training our kids on a daily basis. And Kroger gets that right. Uh, so they want to celebrate outstanding teachers. And I'm honored they've chosen Dog Nation Daily as the platform in which they'll celebrate them. Next week, each day of the week, we're going to announce a winner of our Celebrating Outstanding Teachers contest, courtesy of Kroger. And the teachers who win are going to get a collection of four incredible gift cards, including $100 to Kroger, $50 to Home Chef and Bath and Body Works and Target. So it's a great collection of gift cards, all courtesy of Kroger. And the cool thing is we're using you to nominate these outstanding teachers. And if the teacher you nominate becomes a winner, you yourself also get to be a winner too. A $50 gift card courtesy of Kroger and a wonderful Dog Nation gift bag, which includes a T-shirt and all kinds of really cool stuff there. So a couple of more days to do this. Many of you already have. So go to dognation.com. Uh, it's super easy. Uh, you can go through the nomination process there and learn all about the contest itself. And next week, we'll start announcing our Outstanding Teachers winners, and I can't wait to do all of that. All right, so that's that, and go to dognation.com for more on that. Now, let's get ready to go around the doghouse presented today by our friends at ServPro. And let's talk about what probably will be the hottest topic among all the issues for Georgia as it gets going again here with fall camp. We've done some of this on the show already this week, and we'll probably do a lot more in the days to come. And that is the topic of the quarterbacks. And yesterday, Kirby Smart said a couple of things that I do want to highlight here for a moment. One of these is about the competition overall in general. And this is another one of those clips that sort of takes a little bit of a turn as the clip is playing. At first, it sort of sounds like Kirby with sort of the typical coach speak, not really revealing anything about the topic at hand, you know, just kind of trying to say his typical spiel. But if as the words of Kirby kind of play on here, eventually he does kind of pivot towards something that's a lot more specific about what he's looking for and ultimately what's going to decide this quarterback competition as it plays out between Carson Beck, who we believe is the leader, Brock Vandergriff, who's kind of the next most senior member of that quarterback group, and of course Gunnar Stockton, who's a tight prospect in his own right. Kirby Smart, by the time this clip is done, gets pretty specific about what it's going to take to actually emerge as the Georgia starting quarterback. So let me let you hear Kirby from yesterday to kick off Georgia fall camp. I want to see them be where their feet are. You know, I, I just got through talking to the team 10 minutes ago and just said, you know, I had three or four older players, fifth-year and fourth-year players, tell the younger players what the expectation for training camp is. And that's exactly what I think about when I think about quarterbacks, you know, to worry about today's walkthrough, today's recovery period, today's uh, meetings, um, whatever we're allowed to have, we're going to have today. And the only thing you should worry about is that. And then tonight, you can start worrying about tomorrow. Uh, but for those quarterbacks, you know, it's it's not to overwhelm themselves with the results, to overwhelm themselves with the process of getting better. They're going to get a lot of reps in the next 25 practices. They're going to get a chance to compete in the next 25 practices. So each one of them has individual things they need to work on. Um, but for, for the whole, I want to see them, you know, manage the offense, understand the offense, get people lined up and execute and the guy that does that best in critical situations will, will, will be the guy that becomes a quarterback. If you've ever been like any kind of walk of life, even away from football, you kind of understand that sort of the top level of understanding is the ability to teach a concept. In other words, you might, uh, for your job or if you're in school or something like that, you know, you might be able to understand something when it's explained to you, but the highest level of understanding is being able to explain it to somebody else. Many of you have kind of interacted with that in, in some form or fashion. And that's kind of what Kirby Smart's saying there, and know what you know, kind of no uncertain terms. Which is, hey, I want to see a quarterback who is in such control of this situation that he's able to tell other people what to do. I want the most knowledgeable person about this quarterback situation to be my quarterback. And by the way, when you've got a center like Cedric Von Prong Granger, who's been here since the dawn of time. It's hard to know more about the Georgia offense than he does. Even with the changeover from Todd Munkin to Mike Boba, conceptually enough stuff stays in place that a guy like that is probably the most capable of lining anybody up. And I think what Kirby's kind of hinting at there is, hey, is I need my quarterback who's not anywhere near as experienced as a guy like that is. I need him to know just as much as a veteran presence like Van Praan Granger probably does. Just to sort of cite one example here of how knowledgeable some of the players in this Georgia offense are. But I want to see quarterback be that knowledgeable, if not more so, because that's just what you sort of require from quarterback. And 
This is where those August scrimmages become really interesting. And by the way, some of you will get a chance to see these, whether you be, you know, high school coach or a booster or whatever else. People will see some of this kind of stuff. And, you know, when you do to watch the way that the offense is managed, does the offense move down the field? Football is just more fun to watch when a quarterback is in control. When it comes to one of those scrimmages against a very good Georgia defense, if you see a quarterback who's just kind of managing things, who's just kind of moving an offense down the field, then you kind of know that you might be in a pretty good position there. So Kirby kind of gets pretty specific about exactly what it's going to take to win this starting quarterback job. Now, we've talked a lot the last couple of days about, well, is the way we perceive this to be at the end of spring practice still true, where Carson Beck seemingly had emerged likely to be the starter is he going to be the guy for Georgia and maybe with that in mind Kirby was asked yesterday about the leadership traits that Carson is showing because we do know that while a big part of this job is throwing the football and actually performing on the field there's also kind of an intangible element what the quarterback brings to the table and so Kirby did talk some more about that yesterday too so let me let you hear that as a way of getting full context here. Carson is a very uh, even kill individual. He's been that way since we recruited him all the way back to his 11th grade year. He's not a highs and lows. He's not a real emotional guy. He's not a real fiery guy. Um, he's, he's very um, laid back um, and, and he understands his job. He's very intelligent, uh, but he's, you know, every leader has their own way. And uh, he certainly um, commands the room. I think the, the, the players around him understand how bright he is and they trust him uh, and Carson's had a lot of reps and a lot of work but it's hadn't all been game reps so he's had a, a huge mass of of reps against good defense you know against really good defense in ours so um, but his 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 leadership methods kind of still still being developed so no different than Gunner and, and Brock I mean they each one have different uh, ways about them and that's that's true with the guy that just left too. So this is where if Kirby were to hear this, he'd be driven crazy because I'm going to start reading between the lines and some of this kind of stuff. And to me, that sounds pretty positive about Carson. What it sounds like is, Hey, I like a lot of stuff I'm seeing in Carson back, but it's not finished yet. Doesn't that sound like that to you? It sounds like, Hey, this is a situation where I've seen, decent amount of growth it sounds it sounds like there from Carson but I still want to see more or I'm not quite ready to sort of punctuate this and validate this just yet a full endorsement as of yet but I kind of like where this is heading there are certainly moments in which Kirby's a lot less descriptive than that we're actually going to play some of that for you later on this week where Kirby does kind of withhold some praise a little bit and boy <laughs> that dog when it doesn't bark is certainly very very noticeable but in that particular case, Kirby doesn't seem to be all that hesitant to kind of say some nice things about Carson while also kind of keeping Brock Vandegrift and um, and Gunnar Stockton in the discussion. The point is, if someone's doing well at the quarterback spot, history would suggest that Kirby won't keep that a secret, that if there's good news to be shared, they don't have a problem sharing that news. Oftentimes, no news is not good news, though, because bad news typically doesn't leak. And so that's what's to be kept in mind here, that if Carson's doing well, Kirby probably won't hesitate to say Carson is doing well. If Brock Vandegrift is making a big push, once again, Kirby probably won't hesitate to say that because it only spices up the competition, which is probably what he wants to begin with. So take that for what it's worth there. A little bit of tangible, specific praise about Carson Beck, and the more specifics you hear about the quarterback situation in the days and weeks to come, the better idea I think you'll have of where all of this is possibly heading and that is around the doghouse presented today by our friends at serve pro now luckily the situation at georgia right now is actually not that much of a mess right everything's kind of well kept and put together and everything's working just as smoothly as it ever has and as football fans we're very thankful for that but for some of you your situation is very very different than that either at your home or your workplace or whatever else and listen i'm not making light of this this is gonna be very serious if you've got fire damage i, I drove by a house of the day and you know, I happen to see it's not in my neighborhood, but just, you know, I guess relatively close to where I live. And boy, you see the way in which that fire damage creates just a noticeable, noticeable mess. And I'm sure that's harrowing for the people who, who live there. And you're kind of left to wonder, OK, well, what do you do about this or the water stuff? And maybe that's a little bit more common than the fire situation might be where 
uh, pipe breaks or, you know, sometimes, especially back in the winter, we had a ton of that kind of stuff going on. Water gets everywhere, and that kind of stuff can just wreak havoc in a home. It can leave uh, just an unfathomable mess. And once again, you're left to wonder, okay, what do you do about this? If it's your home where your family lives, if it's your commercial property where your business is operated out of, it's a rental property you have, you know, what do you do about one of these gigantic messes that has to be cleaned up? Well, what I hope you'll do is, is take my recommendation and reach out to my friends at ServPro, the restoration specialists, who can put all of this together for you back like it never even happened. That's what ServPro is all about. They clean up your mess, they send their team out there, and they get it done. When it's all said and done, it's almost like you could blink your eyes, literally like the, the terrible event that may have taken place, like it never even occurred. So that's why ServPro is a name you need to know. Now, each franchise independently owned and operated, what that means is, when you do business with Serpro, you're doing business with a company that's got just as much of a stake in the outcome as you do yourself there. So please find them online. It's servepro.com, S-E-R-V, servepro.com, S-E-R-V. Find Serpro uh, today online at servepro.com. Okay, so we've got mass chaos in college athletics, and I don't mean that lightly. Uh, it's absolute anarchy way out west in the ACC. And frankly, I'm honestly not sure what's going to happen. I think I know what may happen immediately next, but what's going to happen after that and after that and after that, I'm not quite so sure. So we're going to try to figure this out before our show is done. So we'll get to that here in a little bit. Also, I'll remind you about something fun taking place at Dog Nation tonight uh, before we're all said and done there as well. So we'll cover a lot of ground here in a little bit. But for now, I do want to keep the conversation ongoing, both about what's happening at Georgia practice and kind of the overall state of affairs when you maybe got a program saying bad stuff about UGA and the recruiting trail. How do we make sense of all of that right now? Well, let's talk to Terrence Edwards and see if he can help us here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We got great graphics on the screen here. My laptop's covering it up. I want to make sure I see. Let make sure everybody can see the really nice graphic package. Our folks here at Dog Nation have put together for us. You'd love to see that. Also, great to have Terrence Edwards in the program today there as well. Uh, Terrence, I'm glad to have you. We are just talking about quarterbacks there a moment ago. I know we've talked about this a good bit, but let's reset this a little bit, kind of going into the start of fall camp here. How do you see things kind of right now between Carson Beck and, and Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton? Like, Where do you kind of see all of this here right now as they kind of get back officially to work during practice right now? we all think Carson is going going into camp as the number one guy. Don't want to call him the starter yet because Kirby has not uh, named the starter, so he's the number one guy going into camp, but we all assume that he will be the starter going into game one. And I think, you know, with, with Brock probably number two and, and Garner's number three, and that can change. Um, you, you never know it. Uh, not hoping this, but injury can play a part of it. And then just uh, overall skill set. Uh, Donner has been in the program now for a few years. Uh, Brock has been in the program now for a few years. So I think Kirby and company is pretty comfortable with the two and three. Um, and I'm pretty comfortable with number one. I think the number one is, is, is Carson. Yeah, and I think that I'm probably right there with you on that. We have heard some people on the show the last you know few days at least kind of open the door that a push could still be made by somebody else. Maybe Brock Vandergrift, the most prominent to do that because it seems like he was the guy that was the number two quarterback during spring practice. I guess how serious do you take the idea that Vandergrift could kind of close that gap sometime over the next few weeks? Um, he could close the gap, but I, I honestly think that you know, Carson will open the season opener as the starting quarterback. He's waited his turn. Uh, I think he performed well in the spring game. Um, I think he's performed well uh, from everything that I've heard throughout spring practice, throughout summer. He's been the leader. So I think Carson has, has kind of entrenched himself on being the day one starter. Um, but I also like the, the work that the other two quarterbacks have done as well. So, God forbid, anything happened to Carson, I think we're all kind yeah. of okay with the backups that we do have. 
I don't have the photo to show on the screen, but a lot of Georgia fans, if they weren't kind of sold on Carson Beck before, they're sold on him now for sure. Did you see he kind of got the Stequavius fade? He kind of got the little, you know, the nice little uh, uh, little shorter cut there, kind of looking like what Stetson Bennett looked like going into last year's uh, national championship and obviously the beginning of last season there as well. So for Georgia fans who may have been on the fence about Carson, the fact that he's kind of got the Stequavius fade going like Stetson Bennett had last year, that sort of won some folks over there, Terrence. Oh, most definitely. The haircut tells it all. you got to have that little swagger, that the gamesmanship, and, and it looks good. It, it's, it's a nice cut, and, uh, you know, going into camp, you got you got to have that type cut because you, you're tired. Uh, there's a lot of things going on. You're just not going to have time to go get a haircut. So why not get your little buzz cut and just see how it goes from there? You know, Quinn Ewers kind of did the same thing too, right? The Texas quarterback, he had the long mullet there for a while. He kind of got serious there too. So that's kind of like the signal from quarterbacks now, right? Like you said, hey, it's camp. I got to get serious. I can't be trying to look pretty out there. Let me just get it kind of high and tight and uh, let it feel good underneath the helmet because my guess is, you know, having not been a player, you know, certainly like you were, my guess is too much hair inside one of those helmets on a hot day probably does not feel great. Oh, it doesn't. You know, a lot of hair, it doesn't. And the the fit of a helmet changes as well. Yeah. Less hair that you have. So uh, I'm sure that it's, it's cooler uh, than just having a lot of hair up there. And it, and it looks nice. And I'm, I haven't seen the picture of a Queen Ewers. Last picture I saw him, he had the, the, the mullet. So – I have to go Google him with, with the with the buzz cut. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, fair or not, we sort of judge quarterbacks by how they look, right? It's like, I mean, it's like there's a lot of different ways to kind of look like a player, whatever other position, but there's a certain vibe you want a quarterback, you know, to kind of, you know, you, you want him to sort of stand tall and look good, whether you're tall or not. There's a certain vibe you want your quarterback to have, right? Oh, m- most definitely, most definitely. You know, the the hair could tell you a lot a lot about a person, so. Um, I, I really dig the, the buzz cut. I hope Carson keeps his because it, it looked it looked good on on stats. And so yeah, um, that's something that I would love for our quarterbacks to have. If you could play with that type swagger with that haircut, then I know you're the quarterback for me. What else from fall camp uh, are you kind of looking to see? Now, typically speaking, you get a chance to go to one of these uh, practices, so I'm hoping that's going to be true for you again here upcoming pretty soon. But like you know, I know you look at wide receiver because, of course, you would. But like you know, in addition to that and everything else, you know, what are you kind of looking to see, looking to hear from when it comes to Georgia getting ready for this upcoming season? Well, the running back position is another position that I'm gonna kind of look at. I, I know uh, Kendall Milton is the heir apparent, uh, and I and I believe in Kendall. I just got to see him to stay health, healthy. Uh, you know, Dejon Edwards is. Another kid that's been reliable, been studied, been a guy that I don't believe anyone thought would be this type of player coming out of Colbert. I don't know, even though his last name is Edwards, I, I knew that he would, would be the type player that he is. Uh, so the running back position, I already see Andrew Paul, um, his trainer out in Houston played with me in the CFL, so okay. I've, I've kind of did my background check on him, and I've been told, Terrence, this guy's the real deal. He can catch the football. He's a low um, so I'm, I'm anxious to see what he brings to the table. And then you have Kirby yesterday saying some very nice things about Cash Jones, the walk-on running back, you know, how strong he is, ability to kind of – we've heard certainly heard plenty about him, you know, his athleticism, catching the ball out of the backfield maybe. You know, that's another interesting, I guess, sort of statement about this, that you know, here's Georgia with a lot of major recruits at every position, running back included, and yet there's still room for a guy like Jones to, to get a little love there and – perhaps lighting a fire underneath some of the other running backs too of, hey, don't assume that your spot is solidified because you got guys like this off the radar who are kind of making their own push too. Oh, most definitely. As we saw a few years ago, B.A., that you can never have enough running backs because a few years ago where every running back got hurt and we had to go with some walk-on guys. So, you know, that's what makes a team. When you can get guys that probably could be scholarship elsewhere – but they continue to stay at, at our universe. I let you know what type of culture that we have, and um, and Kirby gave you a shout out. We know Kirby don't do that very often, That's calling right. guys out positively. So uh, you know, Cash Jones is a guy that probably will push for playing time or a role on a team is a special teamer or a situational type running back. No, I think that's exactly right. Uh, I want to shift gears to something else here for a moment. We talked a little bit about K.J. Bolden, who makes his 
uh, announcement on Saturday. He'll make his commitment decision on Saturday. A lot of Georgia fans leaned in on this. And, you know, there's been some thought here, and some people kind of thought that maybe Kirby Smart had a little bit of a coded message yesterday when he talked about freshmen being able to play early and the fact that, you know, Georgia gets negative recruited about that from time to time. And, you know, I, I guess from your perspective, like how much do you think Georgia – kind of battles negative recruiting, whether it be around the Bolden situation, around really any situation where, you know, Georgia's the top dog in college football. And if you're a program like an Auburn or somebody like that trying to get to that level, of course, it just stands to reason you're going to do what you can do to kind of take Georgia down a peg if you've got the chance to do that. How big of a role do you think negative recruiting plays in the ways in which these programs try to convince players to come their direction and not go to a place like UGA? Well, it plays in it. I think of a lot of times from my own experience and from guys that I've trained or guys that I just know. Uh, when you have to talk about someone else's program, normally that's not the program for you. There's a lot of ways that you can convey the reasons a uh, recruit should come to your university, and Dev Chart is one. So if there's other schools talking about, you know, Georgia has all these talented players, you just look at the last few years. I think statistically, Georgia has played more freshmen than anybody. Um, Defensively, we rotate from the front seven more than anybody. So look at, even though he's not here anymore, Bear Alexander. Look at Mikael Starks. Like, look at all those guys who's major, Michael Williams, who was major contributors as true freshmen. So, uh, as Kirby said yesterday, if you can play, he's going to find a spot for you to play, and being a freshman don't matter. So, yes, other teams can go out and, and negative recruit. And when you're the top dog, that's what happens. So that's what comes with the territory. But most recruits look at it as if why you got to talk bad about another program. Just highlight your program and how your program can make me a better man and a better player. Do you have any thoughts on Bolden in particular? I mean, I don't know how closely you've followed his story and kind of what he might do. What's your overall opinion on KJ? I've known KJ for a long time. He's when he thought he was a receiver, he did some work with me back in his younger days. Okay. Um, and he could play receiver if, if a team needed to. That's the type of athlete he is. So I will um, – I've known his mom, Keisha, for a long time. And um, I did get the invite to go to his uh, commitment. So I probably will go on Saturday if my schedule allows All me right. to be able to go. Um, so I've known Coach KJ for a long time. And uh, KJ is a, is a player that – Every program will love. He's that type of player. He's that type of impact. And I'll tell you who his his impact is going to remind you of, just his personality, is Richard LeCount. Okay. That's what type personality and type re- infection that he's going to have on other guys. He's that type of guy. His play, because we know what type of play that Richard brought to the table, but his personality and thing is kind of very similar to Richard LeCount. Very interesting to consider that. And I mentioned this before you joined us. You know if this goes the wrong direction, Georgia fans will be asking once again, like, what's up with Georgia and Gwinnett County? Now, you know, Terrence, you're in North Fulton now, and you obviously grew up middle Georgia. So, you know, you know Gwinnett County is not exactly your stomping grounds. But when you look at Mike Matthews, when you look at Edrick Houston, when you look at Caleb Downs and Justice Haynes the year before and every player seemingly ever in the thousand years prior to that, like, what do you think is maybe going on? And maybe K.J. Bolden changes this on Saturday, but what do you think the story is between Georgia and this very populous, very talent-rich county that's not that far down the road, just a couple of miles up 316 or across 316, I guess you'd say? Uh, like, you know, why do you think there's such a barrier between this particular county and UGA throughout the years? Um, I don't buy into it. I buy into that these players just want to do – their own thing. Um, I mean, just look at the, the Justin from Mountain View. He's he's in the 25 class. He's committed to us. He's yeah. from Gwinnett. So I, I just think it's, it's not a Gwinnett thing. It's, it's an individual person thing. And, and I hear the Buford connection all the time. And we want to put Justice Hayes in that Buford. Like, he went to Buford for six months. You know, he's a BT kid. His father, Veron, just happened to live across the street. From, from Buford, but he lived with his mom. So I don't buy into it. I just buy into that most of these kids just want to do what they want to do. And, and most of the time, other schools is just a better fit for them. So we can complain about how Gwinnett County is not sending these kids to Georgia, but we are in the top two or three in recruiting class. So 
We may not be getting the kids out of Gwinnett, but Georgia is a national brand. We are raiding Florida right now every year. We're raiding now Texas. We're getting kids out of California. So, yes, we may not get the guys that are here locally, but we're also getting guys that just as talented. Like, so I don't buy into the Gwinnett thing. I buy into individuals who, individuals who decide to go do something else, and they just happen to live in Gwinnett County. Let me squeeze in one more thing before we let you go. And you've obviously been very busy with, you know, getting ready for your own season there at Milton and you're, you know, you've got a lot going on. So I don't know how much of this you're even, you know, following all that closely, but there's a chance today we find out that both the Arizona schools, Arizona and Arizona State are leaving the Pac-12. Florida State has basically said it plans on leaving the ACC, although right now, legally speaking, it's not obvious how they would necessarily do that, but it seems like we're about to have major league chaos once again in terms of teams that one out of one conference trying to get to another and you know who knows what happens like say Oregon and Washington that to me is very uncertain right now um the fact that all of this is happening like right before the season's supposed to begin as practices are taking place for some people Terrence that's kind of distasteful in terms of we want to talk about the game on the field and you've got all this boardroom stuff it seems like it's dominating some of the conversation are you kind of turned off by that there as well, the fact that there's so much of this taking place at a time in which we really ought to be getting ready to watch games on Saturdays on our TVs? Instead, we're talking about what you know chancellors and boards of regents and things like that are doing. Right. You know, at, at, it's a big – we all know college football is a business. It, it is a billion-dollar industry. Billion, and that's where it is. It, it's being about the money. It's still going to continue to be about the money. So that's why I'm not so upset that the players are finally finally getting a piece of the pie. But it's all about the money at the end of the day. Follow the money, and the money rolls upward. And most of those guys that that we're hearing about is is profiting off college football, and their their pockets are, are being, you know, getting bigger each year with TV deals and everything else. So schools are trying to move conferences about the money. So at the end of the day, you know. We can all complain about the players and their movability and their NIL, but we never talk about the people that's in charge that are profiting off the backs of these college football athletes, and we never talk about them. You know, Terrence, I think it's a fair point. I do, and it's probably an issue we'll have to address at some point in time in the future there as well. So I appreciate your thoughts on that today. And obviously, uh, you know, by the way, Milton, you got scrimmage on Friday. Who's Milton playing on Friday? So yes, we we don't we play on the tenth. Um, so that's that Thursday, and okay. we play the mighty Gainesville Elephants on that uh, August tenth next Thursday. That is going to be a fun one right there. That's good to know about. Appreciate you sharing that. And for folks who want to find out more of the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy, the fun stuff you got going on, how can they find you on social media? Oh, you can find me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Hey, Terrence, have a good week. We'll look forward to talking to you soon. Okay. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Good stuff from Terrence Edwards there. I got some more thoughts on some of this realignment stuff. I'll get to that here in a moment. Let me remind you, though, for now, we are cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And obviously, when I talk about Royal Caribbean, you know, for me, that conversation sort of begins and ends with Perfect Day, Coke, okay? You know, somebody asked me the other day, you know, what is the thing? You know, he's having a family vacation, something like that. Like, you know, what is the thing that's going to kind of set that apart on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation? And for me, it really is Perfect Day Coco Cay. It's the private island, exclusive for those on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. There's nothing like it. There's, you know, a lot of folks kind of pretend to have something like that, but there is nothing like Perfect Day Coco Cay. It really is the thing that sets apart a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation from any other kind of vacation you can possibly take. And that's why, you know, every sort of search I go on for my next Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. They all sort of begin for me with Perfect Day Coke Okay. I love the private island, the thrill side, the chill side. And, you know, kids want to enjoy the water park, things like that. You know, adults kind of sometimes want to enjoy the Oasis Lagoon Pool or the area kind of around the beach. You know, whatever the choice is. They also have a special, you know, a beach club, which is kind of an exclusive thing, you know, which you have a chance to be a part of if you want to do that there too. There's just so many different fun options that make that really unlike anything else you can do. So if you're taking a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, I think you should. I think your search on that should start with a ship that's visiting Perfect Day Coco Cay. And the cool thing is so many of the new options for 2024, you better believe they'll be going to 
Perfect Day Coco K, including the brand new Icon of the Seas. You've heard us talk about that. Utopia of the Seas when it's day when it debuts in July and April of 2024 when the Dog Nation cruise set sail will also be going to Perfect Day Coco K there as well. And speaking of that, on an Oasis class ship right now, one of the largest ships at sea, Allure of the Seas. Jessica Slater's worked really hard to put a great uh, itinerary together for us. We've got specially themed Dog Nation events around all this there as well. So I want you to find out more details about this. It's April 22nd through the 26th, uh, leaving out of Port Canaveral, going to Perfect Day Coco Cay, also going to Nassau and the Bahamas there as well. And this thing is filling up fast. So go to RoyalDogs.com. That's the website that Jessica Slater's put together for us, RoyalDogs.com. And you can be a part of the next Dog Nation Cruise in April of 2024, bigger and better than it's ever been before. Can't wait to see you there for that. All right, so let me give you the facts at hand. I'm going to give you a couple of opinions as it relates to what's happening around college athletics right now. So my understanding is, is there is a Board of Regents meeting in Arizona tonight. Now, this is one of those deals where the Arizona Board of Regents makes decisions on behalf of both Arizona and Arizona State. We could hear tonight that both of these schools plan on leaving the Pac-12 to join the Big 12. I guess there's also a chance that neither of them do for now. There's also at least some chance that they make different decisions. It's kind of thought out west that Arizona State is a little bit more tied to the Pac-12 than Arizona might be. The Arizona State is thought to have a very pro-Pac-12 president, whereas maybe at the University of Arizona in Tucson, the situation is a little bit different. Conventional wisdom may also be that both these schools end up making the same decision because oftentimes partner schools within a state, they will behave that way. But it is somewhat also kind of thought that Arizona State may be slightly more Pac-12 than perhaps Arizona might be. So there's a, a wide variety of options that, that, that could occur here. And if Arizona and Arizona State make the move to the Big 12 because of the fact that the Big 12 is going to have a better media rights deal in place than the one the Pac-12 is going to have, then the latest chatter is that that's going to set off a lot of other dominoes that fall. Whereas at that point in time, as has been suggested, the Big Ten may feel comfortable then going after Washington and Oregon. And obviously Utah, which has been pretty devoted to the Pac-12 as of late, you know they may also make a move towards the direction of the Big 12 there too. And essentially the Pac-12 could just completely disintegrate. Now, there's also the issue of Florida State, which I'll get to in a moment. But I don't mind telling you when I have a strong opinion about something when I don't. And I don't mind telling you when I do believe things are moving in a certain direction and when I'm not quite so sure. And this is one of those things where I guess I'm not quite so sure how all of this is going to play out. Because while I believe some of those four corner schools, Arizona or Arizona State, maybe both, maybe Utah too, they go to the Big 12. I can't quite be sure what this means for Oregon and Washington. For a good while, the Big Ten has sort of said post-Kevin Warren, the commissioner who's now out and he's the president of Chicago Bears now, the the Big Ten has sort of suggested they weren't interested in adding Washington and Oregon. But now there's a belief out there that maybe all of that was just posturing because they didn't want to be the conference that was thought to have ended the Pac-12. That's a little bit of a distasteful brand to have to wear, I guess. And so maybe when they were saying they didn't want Oregon and Washington, they were just sort of pretending. And deep down, they wouldn't mind adding two more West Coast schools to kind of go along with uh, USC and UCLA, perhaps for no other reason than to kind of diminish the amount of travel that USC and UCLA are going to have to have. Having you know more West Coast presence makes the travel maybe a little easier for the two LA schools that have joined the Big Ten. Perhaps that's the case, but my understanding is you know, there is no extra money to be had here. That Washington and Oregon, while they do have value, they don't have so much value that, you know, the the TV partners, the CBSs and certainly the Foxes and the, and the NBCs are going to pony up significant more money to the Big Ten because they added Oregon and Washington. We just saw a situation where the SEC couldn't get the extra money added for adding, you know, Texas and Oklahoma to go to that ninth conference game. So, you know, there may not be a whole lot of motivation on the part of the TV networks to renegotiate with the Big Ten just because they add Oregon and Washington. So if you do add Oregon and Washington, you're now, theoretically anyway, reducing the amount of money each year you pay to each of the Big Ten teams. That doesn't seem to be a very lucrative decision to make. So, you know, perhaps they do want Oregon and Washington. Perhaps they do want them at a reduced annual revenue rate compared to what the other teams are getting. 
I can't be quite so sure about that. Maybe some of you feel like you understand that better than I do. But to me, it's a little bit mysterious about how all this shakes out for Oregon and Washington if the Pac-12 does seem to be dissolving around them. Then you've also got the situation at Florida State, where once again, I have to plead a certain degree of ignorance to this. And we've been telling you about this now for a couple of days. So key leadership from Florida State standing up, speaking boldly and loudly that they plan on leaving the ACC. Honestly, I'm not a lawyer, so my legal expertise is not worth a dime. But based on my understanding of the contract that's in place with the ACC, I don't have any idea how Florida State thinks they're going to do this. Like the, the, the buyout they would have to pay to leave the ACC, my understanding is, I mean, it's, it's onerous. I mean, the Texas-Oklahoma buyout to leave the Big 12 is fairly large, large enough that, that the two schools have now stayed in the, in the Big 12 for as long as they have because they didn't want to pay it, but that was only for a couple of years. The ACC contracts, what, I mean, another however many years into the future, many, many years into the future. So you're talking about a buyout per year on the basis of all these future years still left on that deal. Plus, my understanding is, at least based on some of the stuff that I've read, in addition to the buyout to, to kind of get out of the contract, their media rights would also kind of remain with the ACC that if the contract is written the way that it's been stated, I don't know how many people have actually seen it, but the way it's been reported to be, I just don't see how Florida State has a real opportunity to kind of wrestle itself away from the ACC unless the entire league dissolved, which most of the schools in the ACC would not benefit from having that happen. So Florida State's saying all kinds of stuff right now. I just don't quite see how that's going to work for them. But I will tell you this, though that if the SEC grabbing Texas and Oklahoma has set off a chain reaction of events that caused the Big Ten to reach out west and grab a USC and a UCLA and perhaps an Oregon and Washington if it goes that way, and eventually the Big Ten were to also have an opportunity to grab a Florida State because there's reason to believe that the SEC would not value Florida State quite as much as the Big Ten possibly would. And for Florida State, it'd be incredibly lucrative to be in the Big Ten. If somehow this set off a chain reaction of events where the Big Ten reached out west and grabbed the L.A. schools, reached down south and grabbed Florida State, perhaps somebody else to go along with Florida State, then I don't see how you could view this as anything other than Greg Sankey playing a game of chess that he lost badly. He, I don't know how you could see that in any other way if that's the way this worked out. And I think it's really interesting at the time, how few people within the SEC were celebrating the addition of Texas and Oklahoma. I'm talking about SEC homers, like the kind that I am and the kind that many of you are. We love the SEC. We like beating our chest about how good the SEC is. And when the SEC adds Texas and Oklahoma, kind of a power move, I think a lot of us were like, what? Really? Is this good? Is this good for college athletics? Is this even good for the SEC? And if that action caused the Big Ten to do everything that it's done, as distasteful as some of what the Big Ten has done might be to some people's eyes. Still, it would be the kind of power play that sets up another power play that actually leaves the SEC in a weaker overall position than it would have been before. Isn't that just sort of cut and dry? Now, let me give you one more big thought on this, and then after that we'll kind of leave this be. A lot of the national media types seem to be asking the question of, well, how do we get to this point? Like, you know, How do we get to this point where – college sports west of the Colorado River is completely dissolving before our very eyes. And this is one of those things where you have to live so far up in an ivory tower not to have seen this coming for 30 years. And frankly, the average fan, the kind that exists here in the SEC, has been saying this forever, and everything that average fan would have said over the course of the last couple of decades is being proven true right now. And no one else is going to report this, and no one else is maybe even going to notice this. They certainly won't say this out loud, but that's why you know shows like this exist here a little bit. Look at the most recent example of this. You know The schools that were left in the Big 12 after Texas and Oklahoma uh, you know, departed were not major fan bases. You know, these were not you know, lucrative business you know, opportunities. It's the Oklahoma States, the Texas Techs, and programs like that. But they do have a certain level of passionate fan. Maybe a small number of passionate fans, but a certain level of passionate fan. They care about their about their programs. And what they would have told you was, hey, our league is best positioned to survive more so than the Pac-12 because nobody cares about Pac-12 football. People at least do care about the uh, 
you know, the, the remaining schools in the Big 12. Maybe not the same number of fans as Texas and Oklahoma have, but a degree of passion among the fans that do exist. And the Ivory Tower, you know, university presidents and the Ivory Tower media types who kind of go to the same cocktail parties as these university presidents, they sort of laughed in the face of the Big 12 of, uh, you idiots don't know what you're talking about. You know, the Pac-12 is prestigious. The Pac-12 has got these fancy pants academic schools. The Pac-12 is best positioned to survive. And the Big 12 is little more than just, you know, a, a glorified version of the, uh, of the Sun Belt Conference. Well, guess what? The Big 12 is actually positioned to thrive right now. Not to the same level the Big 10 and the SEC are, but it's going to exist five days from now, something the Pac-12 may not be able to say about itself. In the battle that has been ongoing between the Big 12 and the Pac-12, the Big 12 won. And the average fan realized it was going to win the entire time, and the media types who spend their time emailing and texting back and forth with university presidents, university athletic directors, they were slow to realize that. The same thing's been going on for a lot longer than that there as well. You know, SEC fans here in our part of the world would look at the Pac-12 for years and say, this league doesn't matter because their fans don't care. And what we've been told over and over again is, uh, oh, you rednecks down there in the South, you think the SEC is the only league that plays football. But what we've been telling you is over and over again that you don't try as hard as we do. You don't invest the kind of money that we do. You don't have the kind of fan passion that we do. You know, you don't play at the same level. And at one point in time, that would have gotten you derided as, like I said before, some sort of redneck, some sort of person that, that just didn't appreciate the fact that college football is a national sport. And what we would have said is, it ain't as national as you think it is, at least in terms of the most com- you know, competitive teams playing the best game with the most passion. It's just not the same thing. Right now, we're finding how true that is. The Pac-12, it may not exist anymore. And frankly, people down here care more about that than people out there do. Of all the talk about what's going to happen to the Pac-12, what the future may hold, and this and that, how many of this chatters? How much of this chatter is actually coming from Pac-12 fans themselves? This is mostly a media-driven event, and down here in places like this, where we care about college football, we sort of seem to care more about the future of the Pac-12 than people who actually live in the Pac-12 footprint seem to care. And the same thing, by the way, is true for the ACC. For a long time, those of us who are SEC fans who have essentially laughed at the ACC, you know, a bunch of you know uh, people sitting around a you know a country club table in you know North Carolina somewhere saying you know our league is special because we got all these you know fancy you know Wake Forest and Dukes and all this kind of stuff UNC which has always had an excessively high opinion of itself that somehow the ACC mattered because they had all these fancy schools and rednecks in the SEC thought the ACC wasn't a real league but you know is all the ACC was always sort of one step away from showing how real it was SEC fans have never believed that not for a second the SEC has always rightly viewed the ACC as a totally inferior league and now it's obvious to everyone that's the case see TV ends up being the great equalizer for all of this TV doesn't play the prestige game all oh, your fancy school how many fans do you have all oh, your fancy school uh how many wins can you get you know how much you know how how, how successful is your football program? The, you know, TV kind of cuts through the clutter on all that kind of stuff. What the average SEC fans told you for a long time is Pac-12 is a league far below the standard of the SEC. We now know that's true. It's going to disappear because of that. The ACC is a league far below the standard of the SEC. Uh, a program like Florida State now trying to exit the league because what has been pre- you know, pretended not to be true is obviously true. The ACC simply doesn't play at that level. So how do we get here at this point in college athletics? Because a lot of people have been ignoring what average fans have been telling you for decades, that there are certain leagues that just don't try as hard. There are certain leagues that just don't matter as much. And we were told for a long time that we were somehow idiots or rednecks, whatever else, for for believing that, that it just means more. The problem is, of the other leagues, it should mean more than it does. If you want to play at the same level and if you want to share the same revenue pie, you just got to try a little harder. And some of these leagues just simply either don't want to do that or don't know how to do that. But that's why they're on the verge of disappearing. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. All right, a couple things before we let you go. First of all, great time right now to try yourself some Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream. Because let me tell you something. Here in SEC country where college football is thriving on a regular basis, uh, Dr. Pepper is a big part of everything we do during the college football season. And this season, Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream is going to be a big part of what you do there as well. I think it should be either the Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream or Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream, zero sugar. I hope you will enjoy it because I think you will. Uh, We've loved Dr. Pepper for a long time, and now the brand 
brand new permanent flavor offering from our friends at Dr. Pepper takes it to a brand new level there as well. So go by your local Kroger or wherever you're doing your grocery shopping and find yourself some Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream and Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream, zero sugar. One more thing before we let you go here today, and that is this. Tonight on Dog Nation, Dog Nation Happy Hour presented by Marlowe's Tavern makes a debut. We've done a show like this before, but never anything quite like this. In fact, Kaylee Manziel is going to be a terrific host for this show each and every week. And you're going to have a rotating cast of Dog Nation folks who pop on and participate in this show there as well. Tonight it's me as my good friend Jeff Sintel there as well. By the way, more on him in a moment. But we're going to be hanging out with Kaylee Manziel, and we want to hang out with you there too. Obviously, tuning in to watch the show, but also being invited to participate in the show there too because we're going to take your calls live as we often do. And this is going to be a part of the Dog Nation Happy Hour, courtesy of our friends at Marlowe's Tavern each and every week. Can't wait to have you a part of it. Can't wait to make this be a regular Thursday staple for you. Kaylee Manziel, a cast of folks from Dog Nation, which includes me tonight, uh, Jeff Sintel there as well, and your phone calls too. So make plans. Set your alarm clock. Set up whatever you need to do, notification, whatever else, a reminder to be there with us. 7 p.m. tonight for the debut of Dog Nation Happy Hour presented by our friends at Marlowe's Tavern. Make sure you check that out. I can't wait to see you there. All right, as we wrap up today with our golden shoes, speaking of Jeff Sintel, I played a couple of clips from Jeff a little earlier in the show. Jeff also did really something nice yesterday that I wanted to say thank you for in the version of a golden shoe here right now. This week, we celebrated our 2000th episode of our show, as many of you are probably aware. Go back many years ago, we celebrated our 1,000th episode. And one of the things our team here at Dog Nation had done for me as just kind of a way of kind of celebrating that particular moment. They had some T-shirts made up. Now, we didn't sell these or anything like that. This is more of a, like an in-house thing. But some T-shirts made up of uh, me. And you can't quite tell that from the uh, graphic there. But Jeff wore his last night on Before the Hedges presented by Kroger. You see the, the those lousy, stinking gators. That was the phrase that was underneath there. So this was just kind of a fun thing our Dog Nation team had done for me a couple of years ago. Jeff wore that on his show last night. So I appreciated that from Jeff. We'll give him a golden shoe for that here today uh very funny to be able to see that thank you jeff and thanks to all of you been with us for these 2000 episodes but by the way speaking of as i mentioned those lousy stinking gators how about back in jacksville 86 days from right now beating up on florida again that is fun to think about and that is our gatorator countdown we'll see all of you back here tomorrow dog nation daily presented by meriwether and tharp look forward to talking to you then